आई एम सुमित गुप्ता एंड दिस इज चूजिंग लीडरशिप अ पॉडकास्ट फॉर हाई परफॉर्मर्स विद बिग ड्रीम्स एट वर्क एंड लाइफ दिस इज अ पॉडकास्ट फॉर पीपल हु नो डीप इन साइड दैट देयर इज मोर हैव यू अचीव्ड अ ग्रेट डील ऑफ सक्सेस बट ऑन द इनसाइड यू स्टिल फील एम्प्टी एंड लाइक एन इंपोस्टर डू अदर पीपल सी यू एज अ स्ट्रॉन्ग लीडर एंड यू वंडर वाई इट स्टिल फील्स सो लोनली एंड सफोकेटिंग The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate. I dare to speak to the tremendous power which you already have rather than what you believe are your strengths and limitations. This podcast is called Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. And this is the leadership journey series. I am interviewing leaders with an interesting story to learn how they got where they are today. we all have a lot to learn from each other's stories of where we started where we are now and our successes and struggles on the way with this series of interviews my attempt is to give leaders an opportunity to share their stories and for all of us to learn from their generous sharing dr catherine is an associate research professor at the university of maryland and the nasa harvest africa program director She was recently honored with the highest civilian award of Uganda by President Yoweri Museveni for her dedication to improving food security in Africa. She works with the governments of Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda, and Mali among others. Her work is funded by institutions like NASA, USDA, Lesuna Fund, Swiss Re Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and also USAID. Catherine shares how she had very humble beginnings growing up just outside kampala in uganda and how she learned so much from her parents who were very resourceful despite having very little resources she talks about her openness to learn and build new things and also shares the value of speaking in a language your audience understands we also discussed how acknowledging that i do not know is often what allows growth to happen hello catherine welcome to the show and it's uh, my pleasure to have you here to begin with for our listeners can you start by sharing a little bit about how you got where you are today and if there are any key events from your life that you would like to highlight that has shaped you as a person and as a leader my journey is not a uh, one that is very straightforward i didn't start with some end goal or objective i had a very simple childhood actually i had a photograph with my sisters when we were younger and with the photograph we were so happy and so i grew up in in kyukanda and in kapala in a place called makinis like slightly right outside the the capital and it's in kapala but it's off the main city and i was growing up i guess one of the most defining things is that we played badminton mm-hmm. a lot when i was in high school most of my most of the students at school would think of badminton when they would think of me so i used to be called kathy badminton mm-hmm. um in that time frame we did really well and we had a lot of trophies it's one of those defining things because it kept me really busy having that had a lot of opportunities growing up and so I had a very simple childhood and when I finished my high school I had hopes to 
do something along those lines of sports. I'd hoped to do this. There's a program called Sports Science that I'd started and I wanted to do that because I really enjoyed badminton. I'd done a lot of things along sports. I taught myself how to teach aerobics. I was a, a games prefect when I was in high school. And I, for some reason that I can't, you know, really pinpoint, it kept me together and I, I like doing it. Also kept me and my sisters really close because we all played it. Um, and I always looked up to my older sister, her name is Annette. And she was Uganda's number one at the time. And I was playing juniors and uh, it did really well as well. And however, in Uganda, when you finish high school, you need to have a certain grade, uh, a certain number of points. It's like kind of a grading system to qualify to get a, a sponsorship, which is the only way I would have been able to do to go to, to, to university. So I didn't, the, my first choice was that sports science program, but it was so competitive. I didn't get the right number of points to do it through the government scholarship program. And so I found out later that there was this environmental science program that just opened and I started and to apply to it and I got it. So I was one of the first people to, to study that program. And I guess the other thing that's a finding is that I always loved math. I did, I did pretty well at math and I loved geography. And so those two things coming together allowed me to be able to do this environmental science program. And that's how I took the path into environmental science. I really enjoyed field work. I started my first opportunity to go out in the field. I took it. I actually created it for myself. I wanted to do something with mapping. I'd just been uh, introduced to geographic information systems in a course that I took in my undergrad. And I wanted to actually make my own maps. So I went out of my way to do an internship with the Uganda Wildlife Authority to get field experience, collecting data, putting it together, visualizing it. It seems like something tangible. So I like, I'm a person like that. Like I like baking. Because I get a product in the end, for example, yeah. and sewing, <laughs> kneading, because in the end I have something. And so I think that process is the same thing that I liked. I, and I liked computers. I like computers so much that I bought my first computer with what would have been my housing stipend. Okay. I made a deal with my mom that I'd like to use that money to buy a computer if she would give me money to go to school because I was commuting. And those things kind of... Those things coming together made me, I didn't play so much badminton when I started university. I actually completely almost stopped playing it competitively because I realized that in my own perception that I would, there are not so many opportunities for me and I wouldn't be able to overcome some of the challenges that I think my family was facing because I wouldn't be able to get a scholarship to pay for me to continue school or to be able to support or help out at home because I, I used to work at my mom's restaurant. So I, I, I decided to just focus on my environmental science. And then my sister moved to New York when I was finishing my undergrad. I was so excited about this course that I wanted to do more. Like, it's like almost like opening up. You think when you're in, I guess when you're in high school, you're learning a lot, but then once you go to university and start to see how so much broader the world is because I didn't have access to books and stuff like that growing up. So like the 
my view or perception of the world was, was very limited. And so going to university and finding out all these other things you can study made me think that I needed to do more of it. But I also wanted to do it somewhere else where I thought maybe there'd be better opportunity. And so I applied and went to, ended up going to the Johns Hopkins University for my master's in Baltimore. It was really exciting. My sister was excited because getting into the program at the university was just fantastic. But when I got there, I guess another defining moment is just the amount, if you think about it, resources that I had access to by just being at the university was so defining in the sense that I couldn't read all the books that were available, even if I was so interested, because there were so many having access to computers and internet. And I just, just like this ever expanding universe in that sense. It just like we're discovering more and more stars and stuff like that. It's like, there's more after mm -hmm. this, there's more, there's more. So yeah, that's how so, I guess I am yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about growing up in Uganda. You, you shared very briefly that it was limited or it was restricted. Tell me a little bit more about that. So my dad is a mechanic. He's a car mechanic. And my mom had a small shop, uh, a small business. And so we had very little, like hmm. less pictures of us growing up. No shoes, like sometimes how when people take pictures of or when people try to portray people in Africa from a long time ago, as if it's the same as now. So it wasn't that much different. It was in the city, but we lived in a mud house and I went to my primary school. <laughs> it does not exist anymore. It was in a very small, it's a place called Katre. There's a market there and it's a slum. Yeah, it was very simple. I, to watch television, I'd have to go to the neighbors. I walked to school from when I was three, at least six or seven kilometers from home where I went to like kindergarten and yeah. So it was like that. Mm -hmm. Though I think sometimes people think that maybe I had a very privileged uh, upbringing, but I didn't. Right now I feel like I'm in a very privileged position, but growing up, I, I wasn't mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So I, I want to connect the dots here, right? How do you come from growing up like that, like the way you described? to being very ambitious. And also you mentioned that when you started working, you created where you like the program and everything. So where did that sense of courage or groundedness or leadership came from? What was driving that passion from where you started to where you are now? It's in my nature to maybe want to build on things. When I was five, I didn't think I was going to be a rocket scientist. I didn't even know what a rocket scientist is. Uh, or I didn't say I wanted to be a doctor. Or I didn't have that kind of mind frame. But what I had was what I had with me, I would make something. So like with what I have, I tried to do something with. And in that, because of that, I discovered more and more, which I think opened up more and more doors. So with my environment of science, I discovered geographic information systems and so brought like, I like fixing things. I would want to have, I bought a computer, which was dead, I had to keep making that computer work, buying additional drives and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So that taught me about IT. When I was doing my undergrad, I took an IT course in the evening which opened up, so there's this whole other world of mm. IT. And then there's geographic information systems. Like I want to understand more about that. 
I got into the master's program. When I got into the master's program, I also wanted to really do something that would allow me to work, like working in the environmental field. And I wanted to do it back and go back home. And so once I discovered this whole other realm of remote sensing and satellite data and having access to it, you know, I wanted to know more. Then you could apply it to forest monitoring. Now I work more with crop monitoring, but I actually started by doing some poor GPS mapping or encroachment into a forest reserve. So it's like when you're chipping away at something, you discover more and more under it. It's like my operating frame. Like right now I work and interact with like incredibly smart people who will open up like my world to deep learning and, and, and stuff like that. So it's, I think just being open to learn and not being afraid, uh, I think. Yes. I think what I'm listening to is resourcefulness. So even with less resources, you have found a way to continuously build on things or fix the problems or the challenges that you have found yourselves in. Yeah, it's like working. You see, you've seen me these amazing videos of little kids making something out of nothing. So I'm like that in that sense. Like you can, I don't know. I've done, I've done so many things. I've mm. worked at a gym as an instructor when I was 17. I applied for the job through a radio commercial. Yeah. I've worked for an NGO, a women's organization, helped organizing like workshops. So a lot of those things, when you pull them together, it explains, you know, why so many things come together. Now I worked at a movie studio. I taught myself how to edit images and video. Mm. And it's just being open and being, having that mindset of if a window's opened, right, you can look in and then see how far you can look in. And if it's not, if it doesn't fit or if it's not so good, the others that are good at it, just being also open to, to working with, with people actually, because you can never, you can't do everything. And in the world we live in, that's even more and more connected. You find that there are certain people who can do something so quickly and it's better that they do it. And that makes it, it makes it a better fit and a better outcome because of creating that opportunity for others. Yeah. Yeah. And all of these diverse backgrounds and experiences, how do they play out uh, today in your role when you're talking to people of very different backgrounds? You're talking to governments, but I'm sure you're talking to scientists, you're talking to people from, from a very privileged background as well. So how do you, how does all of this tie up together to allow you to do the kind of work that you do today? I think it uh, helps to be grounded. I think I like to communicate as effectively as possible, where um, trying to sound like a very good scientist when I'm talking to a farmer is completely pointless and trying to communicate in the simplest possible terms, depending on the situation that you're in. But then also when you're, when I ran into situations where obviously I'm not an expert. There, there are whole other levels of understanding and descriptions of things. Remaining grounded and communicating within my realm of understanding, I think is important where I don't say things that I don't know what they mean. One of the things that I think I learned during my PhD, and I remember this very well, it was a meeting with my PhD advisor. He said, it's okay to say you don't know. And I always like feel empowered by that because it also allows you to know that you do not know something you can learn about it, but accepting that you don't and somebody else does, I think is incredibly important because it allows you to create space for you to grow. 
emotionally, physically, mentally as well. So I, 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 that's like the thing I always go back to. But then things that I know, and I know in a very complex way, it helps to tone it down and communicate you know, what it is you're looking at. So rather than sometimes talking about the complex indices or the different things that go into data analysis, it could be as simple as saying in this particular area, a flood happens, so the crops are poor, rather than me talking about all the different indices that brought us to, uh, to that endpoint, which people lose interest when they can't follow 90% of what you're saying. So I try to, to, to do that, yeah. Yeah, so what you have shared is very powerful on two levels. One is acknowledgement that you cannot know everything. And you talked about learning, but I think this is a crucial connection from acknowledging that you do not know because that creates a space for learning. And also the second thing which you mentioned about uh, tailoring your communication in the simplest way possible, depending on whom you are talking to. I think that's very practical, but that's uh, something which uh, I see people struggle with unless they are faced with a few challenges or few difficulties in doing that. So thank you for sharing that. I think you mentioned it as a matter of fact, but these are uh, not very trivial things. These are very important skills. So I wanted to acknowledge you on that. So given the kind of work that you do today and uh, given that you have to wear multiple hats, depending on whom you are talking to, what is it that people misunderstand about you? Them? The term imposter syndrome. My own personal reflection of myself where I think that maybe people don't, because I oversimplify things. So maybe I don't sound technical enough. Mm -hmm. or I don't sound scientific enough, like yes. balancing these because of my desire to try and communicate as, as much as possible. Sometimes I think that maybe from a more technical, scientific or academic realm, I am not academic enough, mm. but that I'm not uh, a politician or a policy person. So I'm not a policy person. So I'm like, I, I learned this word recently, a boundary person who can go either way, but I'm not, depending on who's perceiving me, I am not, like, I don't fall in that one category. But I think the reason why it might be a misunderstanding or my own poor reflection of myself is that maybe this is my superpower, that the power to um, be within that space and not feel completely uncomfortable. Because I understand if you found me when I'm in the field, you would not even suspect because I'm just, unless you knew me from before. So it's, uh, yeah, I would say that maybe being yeah. a boundary person can be problematic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you said that this could be your superpower because the, the more I work with leaders who are playing big and the more I realize that imposter syndrome basically stays there, like it gets stronger. And in fact, from a leadership point of view, it's a good sign. Because then that means that you're challenging your growth and you're growing further, you're going into new areas and you're not getting comfortable. And at the same time, not make it a, make it a weakness. As you, as you yourself said, not being a boundary person also allows you to see into different windows, if I would use that analogy. And that allows you to take whatever that you're trying to do forward rather than getting stuck in, this is who I am, this is why I'm not. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it requires also being open to communicate. In the past, for me, in my case, in the past couple of months or years, I've been invited to talk at so many different events. And the challenge with this is because 
of my desire and need to communicate. I can't recycle anything. I could recycle description of who I am and the program and what we do. I can do that. But in order to bring that message to the context of that particular event, it has to be molded differently. And so it creates a lot of work, but it's like almost being like a chameleon to be able to speak the language of that particular event. What's the most interesting thing for this community? So if it's like a machine learning summer school for students, what do you, what do I say? These are the best minds. They're young, fresh, exciting, excited, who are following this particular field way better than I am, way better than I can ever, no matter how long I t- it took trying to prepare for it. So how do I prepare myself for that event? and deliver my best talk in that sense about my work. So it's very different than when I get the opportunity to talk to extension agents, for example, in Tanzania, like it's very different and how you get from those two places and talk about the same thing can be incredibly challenging. But for me, I think it's incredibly important that I do my, the best possible and remain approachable that then we can discuss it in that very basic way. So yeah, it's not so simple, but it's definitely worth doing the extra. Yeah. And just to build up on that, what else do you do to manage that pressure and expectations from a lot of different kinds of people to be very different kinds of person when you're, when you're talking to a very different kind of audiences, how do you manage that pressure? I don't know if I manage it very well. I think it takes more away from my my personal time and, and self to be able to do that. And I'm definitely learning. One of the things is trying to learn to say no so that you can do fewer things. But then also there's the burden of being who I am. And it, it feels like it's my responsibility sometimes. I feel like sometimes I'm guilted into things mm-hmm. and it's, Saying no is at the service to others who might have had the same situations or circumstances as me. And so I'm still working. I'm still working out some of that. But hopefully one of the things is also trying to talk to who are like me or who are in my situation and all others who've had a lot more experience in this line that, than I can learn from. To sacrifice my family for others would be a mistake. So I need to... to learn how to balance. And it's something I'm definitely still struggling with. Thank you for sharing that so openly. And I think for anybody who is listening, it is very important what you just said, because what you are highlighting is uh, the importance of self-care before going out in the world and trying to solve problems as a leader, because it's the same metaphor, put your oxygen mask first. Uh, And if you're not taking care of yourself, and then everything you you do elsewhere is going to be impacted in in some way or the other, right? And and that starts with uh, saying no, because every time you say no to something, you are actually saying yes to something more important, right? And and I think that that's a key element of leadership, and and that's what you just said. To move forward, so what is it that you feel most grateful? My family, my mom, my dad my sisters, I'm absolutely grateful for them. I, I remain myself because of them, but I'm also really grateful for my husband and my kid 
that give me, I'm blown away by my kids. I'm learning so much through them, which is so exciting. I know more about space travel because of them. So I know a lot about satellite data and using the data and, and analyzing it and everything. But learning about space travel and, and going into all the details about planets and stuff like that and trying to come up with something more exciting every day to keep them engaged is quite incredible, actually. <laughs> I'm absolutely grateful for my wonderful colleagues. I would say that I would not have had this opportunity to, you know, be on the world stage and talk about all of these things if, for example, my PhD advisor didn't let me explore. It didn't let me figure things out on my own. And that has made me incredibly brave because I know that I'm equipped to be, give from nothing and learn new things and connect different things. And that I, if I have the will, I can make sense of it. And then having incredible people to work with allows you to do that. And I'm very fortunate in, in the sense that within the institution that I'm in, not only do I have access to the libraries that I mentioned, which I wouldn't otherwise, it's just incredible to be able to explore so many things. Just being able to download as many articles as you can, read them is incredible because other people don't have access to that. And I was just seeing, I think, a Web of Science article with SciHub just showing where research articles are being downloaded from. And you can see where the majority are being downloaded from. And that, so that just speaks to how so out of reach and inaccessible knowledge is and information. And we can't overcome a lot of our differences, our limitations, if people don't actually know how the world works. You have a completely different perspective of it once you learn. The more things you learn, I keep calling it the burden of knowledge. Sometimes it feels paralyzing to understand the powerlessness of that you, I feel like you become more powerless with the more knowledge you get, but then also you become more powerful at the same time. But being able to work with that is quite, it's important. And that's a privilege that I feel like I'm in. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I, I can't stop myself from asking this, but you are, you're talking about being on the world stage. You're talking about pressure. You're talking about burden and responsibility. And I see, and I, and I still see a childlike wonder and a, smart, a laughter on your face. I, I see, I do not see heaviness. I see a lot of light as we are talking about it. And I want to understand what's the secret behind that. I think there's so much hope. There's so much hope. There's so much more that we can do. And the privileged position that I find myself in, I think, allows me to be hopeful. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I also see a lot of humility in in the way we. Are. I think that comes from my that comes from my parents. It comes from my upbringing, my life. If you met me while I was at my parents' house, a, a person that I know very closely described my life as if I'm standing on two stools and balancing two stools, like my family and my education, there's a very big disconnect between my upbringing and my job. But now there's an additional stool, which is being a mother 
So balancing those three things is quite actually incredibly challenging and working so hard and staying loving and kind to, to my sons, it takes self-discipline. And I think the thing about me is that I try to be present when I'm doing a task. I can tell when I'm not, like when I'm supposed to be watching my sons, but I get distracted. I can tell that I get angry really quickly when they ask me something, which as kids, they should. Recognizing that helps me like switch off immediately. Like it has to be one or the other sometimes and not both at the same time. But it's been very hard. Yes. And I think that self-awareness is the key because otherwise you can go down a path without realizing that you're slipping or that you're not being disciplined. But what you just shared is that the moment you realize that, you can actually pull yourself back to a place of balance. Yeah, and the other is having a sounding box. So when I struggle through things, being able to have somebody that I can talk to when I feel like I'm going down a rabbit hole, just to check, is everything okay? Am I reading is wrong? And then the other is when faced with an incredibly challenging thing, stepping back. I say that I think I get very good ideas when I'm sleeping, mm. but it's just that in the morning, right after I wake up, when I'm semi-awake, but I went to bed thinking about this, I come up with another route, of another option, because all the ones that I've thought about before then. So being able to recognize when the brain's not functioning anymore, <laughs> when you run dry of ideas, like finding that thing that brings back that, that energy to get you thinking, I think, I think is important. Mm, thank you. So what advice would you give somebody who is either going through a tough period or growing up in with limited means, but still has big dreams like, like you had maybe as a child. What advice would you give someone like that? The advice that I would give, have given to myself was to keep exploring even with the limited things that, that I had. I liked creating and creating with nothing. And I think that is important. Kids learn things from touching and molding, from putting blocks together, it gives them, they, they learn a lot of things and it doesn't have to be anything special. It doesn't have to be Legos. It could just be like regular blocks that they made with boxes and, and, and things like that. So the advice I think I would give is to look out for things that grow you in a certain way. So me and my sisters, we worked in my mom's shop and in many instances, people would say that was maybe child labor, but it wasn't. I was learning about how my mom managed to take care of all of us with the very little mm. that she was making and how she was evolving it. That you can start with one thing that will become two and three and four. Not that it would all arrive at the same time, I think, is a lesson, is a lesson there that with very little, you can do so much. My mom is one of those people who benefited from microinsurance programs. And the loans that she received, they were so little, but she, she continued to do this. And if she'd wanted big loans, she would never have gotten them. And that would have been, that would have removed all our hope if she was a different person. But she still went from those little ones, grew them slowly, continuously, until she wanted to take out one to pay for my tuition. Mm -hmm. And the bank was like, well, you don't qualify. That's too much money for you. But because of that process, she formed a network of friends that trusted her, that her friends pulled together their money to pay for me because they trusted her. 
She wouldn't have been able to do that because the amount of money we were talking about was so far out of reach. Fundraise to get a flight ticket, but then you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay tuition. And so she built that network. She wouldn't have built that network and been able to get us where we are. So building slowly. And I think the other thing is, I always think about this, that no work is beneath, you know, as long as you learn something from it, nothing is beneath anybody. There is so much you learn about hard work, how hard it is. Some of the stuff that I learned when I go to field work, just how hard it is to have a handhold, to work with a handhold. It is so hard that if you tried it, you would want to figure out how to do it differently. And so all of those things, I think there's a lesson to learn in all of those things. And as you learn these things, it can all come together. So my mom learned to be an entrepreneur by from small things to doing multiple things and trying to continue going forward rather than be stuck and be stuck in a situation where the dream was so big that it made it impossible to make small steps. So I'm that way. Maybe one day I'll be, I don't know. I have no idea what I could be, but it's because I didn't set a boundary or a limit or much, much bigger goal. I have small goals that I can continue to build on. It's, it's my approach, I guess. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it ties all back down to that period of, of childhood. And I have a very similar story of my being and my mom being an entrepreneur and learning a lot from her. Because there was nothing else, because there was no other way. She had to put herself into multiple positions, try out multiple things, because uh, there was no privilege to choose. There was like, do whatever you can with whatever you have. And we might not realize it, but it shapes us. And it, it certainly is true for me that it gives me so much strength. It gives me so much uh, resourcefulness. And it keeps me grounded even when things uh, look difficult to others. Yeah, I have a very modern example of this. For my work, I travel a lot and I go to all sorts of places and it's heavy, data heavy. We need internet, we download massive satellite data. We, we're trying to run complex programs. When I'm in the US, I can do something really quickly and it doesn't cost me any extra money to download, I don't know, so many gigabytes of data. However, transport me to East Africa or to West Africa, even sometimes someplace like in Europe and me trying to do the same thing can become incredibly impossible. It can become challenging. And so like when you are in that situation, you don't say this is completely impossible. You try to work out the next time you go or when you're in that space, like I spent um, all of 2020 and 2020, half of 2021 in Uganda. But when the when airport shut down and everything, we didn't mm -hmm. we didn't travel back. But I continued to do my work, and I tried to com continuously figure out how to do it better, or how to communicate, how to stay in touch with people, working late hours, adjusting my. It was just it's just that I didn't feel defeated, mm -hmm. and figuring out what kind of data service to use, and I learned how so much more expensive internet is, and I learned how to find all these other resources to explain in context yeah. that it might seem like a very smart app that is just fantastic from your perspective, but that application is completely out of reach to hundreds of thousands, millions of people, because simply by 
going to the link and trying to download it, it just doesn't work. And so learning and working within that environment actually is incredible because you learn so much about how, how so many things that are very obvious, simple, accessible in some contexts are actually completely, when they're completely removed, then you figure out what parts are the most mm-hmm. important parts. And not, not a very fancy looking browser is the best. It's actually the simplest one, which downloads and gives you what you need. That's the most important part. So understanding that is really important. Yes. And how often that creates uh, or that leads to resilience, but also innovation, because then you have no other way than to sometimes cut corners to figure out a way that works rather than figuring out the best way or the ideal solution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so before, yeah, before we end our conversation, and I think I can go on forever with, with the way this is going. What is uh, one message that you would uh, like uh, for our listeners? And if somebody wants to reach out to you more about you, how can they know more about what you do and what you are up to in the future? I, I guess I didn't really introduce what I, what I do, but I work for the University of Maryland and the Department of Geographic Sciences. And the university, our department runs a program called NASA Harvest. It's NASA's agriculture and food security program. And under that project, I lead our Africa activities and, you know, it's just searched for NASA Harvest and my name and or just NASA Harvest. You can find a lot of information about what we're doing. And I'm on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn. And I get the most interesting uh, messages with so many people who are really interested in, in, in my work and our program. And I'm really interested in finding ways, I think, to connect, not only to connect, but come up with tangible ways of supporting researchers who come forward in underprivileged, low resource, low access to to the things that actually make me who I am. And so I always try to work out so many ways to solve this problem and I cannot and I would like to connect with others who are trying to do similar things and in a way that it support more people tap into the tools and resources, learning materials, books, all those sorts of things that can open up the whole world to them. Yeah. So I'm happy to connect and brainstorm and learn from others about what they're doing in their field. And I listen to some of your podcasts. I listen to at three or four episodes and it's just incredible how people reflect on their place and what they do. And it's, uh, there's just so much to learn. And I learn a lot by listening. And so I, I found it really interesting. And I'm hoping to keep listening and uh, connecting with uh, other people as well. So. Thank you, Catherine, for your time. And I wish you all the best for the future, for everything that you're going to do in the future. And I hope you can continue doing that with the same white green that you have shown on this podcast today. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride, and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but also for those around you. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of, 
I say what might be uncomfortable for me to say or for you to hear to show you that all our dreams which have been on hold are within our grasp. If you like the sound of it, do not forget to leave a rating. I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter at deployyourself.com slash newsletter. You can also reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook to share any other comment or feedback. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.